Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Hello and welcome to Dear John and Hank. Or as I like to call it, Dear Hank and John. This is a podcast where uh, I, John Green, along with my brother Hank Green, offer some dubious advice, answer your questions, and give you all the week's news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hank, how are you? I'm doing good. John, you and I just had a conference call. Wasn't that enjoyable? I love a good conference call. I always thought that the whole point of being a working novelist was that you didn't have to have meetings, but it turns out that I still do have to have meetings. In fact, I have to have an astonishing number of them. Also, Hank, to be completely upfront with you, I have a hangover. Mm. Uh, I threw up from drinking oh, last wow. night for the first time since my 30th birthday. Yeah, what are what are you, a teen? Well, I, I, you know, I, I hadn't had a drink in about 45 days, and then I had a few of them. <laughs> and uh, my, it, I, I think my tolerance had been significantly affected, and it was a difficult... Uh, it was a difficult and painful evening. And indeed, it has been a mm. difficult and painful day. I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to undersell it. Wow. There is absolutely well, nothing to recommend how I feel right now. But we'll talk more about alcohol during the uh, during the uh, advice portion of the podcast. But uh, everything else is, is good with you? Yeah, last night I had a glass of wine and a chocolate cake. Not a whole chocolate cake, just a piece of chocolate cake. It was wonderful. Well, you aren't you a study in moderation. Would you like a poem? Give me a poem, John. All right. Uh, so this is, you've been complaining a lot about the poems lately, uh, especially that they sound ah, It's not complaint. Poem-y. It's just, I'm just commentary. So I'm going to try to, what I'm going to try to do today is I'm, I'm going to read a very famous, very short William Carlos Williams poem. I'm going to try to read it in a way that uh, isn't so poemy. Um, and then next week, I'm going to read an even less poemy poem. But Hank, please, please take careful note of this poem. I want you to listen to it closely, not just for this week, but also for next week, okay? Okay. This poem is called This Is Just a Say by William Carlos Williams. I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Forgive me. They were delicious. So sweet and so cold. 
That's the poem. This is just a say by William Carlos Williams. I didn't do that too poemy, did I? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I like it. I'm down. It still sounds like a poem. I don't know. There's something about it. Like when you're just reading a book, it's, it sounds like you're reading a book. And when you're reading a poem, it sounds like you're reading a poem. I'm not sure what the what the thing I is. I mean, I, I can read that one much more poemy. I have eaten the plums that were in the icebox <laughs> and which you were probably saving for breakfast. Um, <laughs> anyway, I love that poem, uh, despite the fact that I, I don't really know for sure what an icebox is. Is that just a refrigerator? I suppose that's where I would put my plums. But uh, I think we've all been in that situation, uh, both uh, literally and metaphorically in our lives, uh, with those we love, um, where we must seek their forgiveness, uh, because despite the fact that they were uh, saving something and, and we should have we, we should have honored that. Uh, we are overcome by our own need, by our own personal hunger. Um, and uh, that's human, but it's also very sad. My wife has this awful habit. It's, a, it's not an awful habit. My wife, wife has this habit that is, is bad for her uh, because of my habit. And that habit is that she saves the French fries that she wants the most for last. Now, this seems like a terrible like idea to me because you want to eat the best french fries while they're still hot and before someone else has a chance to eat them but she saves and she does this with all foods not just french fries uh she saves the ones she wants the most for last and so i finish my food and then whatever is left over there is catherine's food and i and i grab but then i've taken if i take one of her things then it's like it's definitely going to be one of the things that she's most excited about and i'm like get that into your mouth as soon as possible because otherwise you don't know what's going to happen to it the asteroid could hit uh you know the the whole the place could burn down there could be a fire situation you got to get those good things into your mouth soon you know hank people often say that the uh advice here on Dear Hank and John isn't particularly good, but let me submit that the advice that you just gave, um, get that in your mouth as soon as possible, is brilliant advice. Um, get that in your mouth as soon as possible. That's <laughs> that's that's what that's that's what we believe here yep. in our family. Was it get that in your mouth as soon as possible or put that in your mouth as soon as possible? Either way, great advice. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Uh, but do you want to give some more advice or, or possibly just uh, just pontificate at, after someone asks us a question? Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is going to be one very humorous humor podcast today. Um, do you want to you ask the first question? Yeah, sure. I'll ask a question from Rhett, who asks, Dear Hank and John, what is your definition of the word art? Oh, gosh. Well, I kind of make a point not to define the word art too much. Um, but I, I like to think that... Uh, Art is something that someone or someone's has or have put into the world uh, to make my life more interesting. I like it. Like I think that art, I think that art has to has to be created for an audience, um, and I think it has to be created as a gift for that audience. And other than that, I don't try to judge it too much. Yeah, I, I, I have no answer for this question at all. I just that's, uh, it seems like way too difficult a thing to try to try and put a box around. Um, yeah. So I, I say my definition of the word art is the very practice of not trying to define the word art, Rhett. Yeah. Well, you know, my wife, who is a museum curator and the host of yes. uh, the art assignment, would completely agree with you that. Uh, 
that the question of what art is is one of the least interesting questions that you can ask around art. She, I, I kind of feel that way as a religious person about the um, the question of like, does God exist, which I find to be a completely uninteresting question, and yet like people act like it's the only interesting question about religion, but not to me. Anyway, um, can we move on to an, another question, Hank? We can, I think. Uh, this question is from Gerard, uh, and, and it, it, it involves the theme of today's podcast. Dear John and Hank, I am a distiller, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on the U.S. legal drinking age from a scientific perspective, alcohol's effect on the developing mind, etc., and a sociological one, effects on young people's perceptions of alcohol. Also, I have to ask, what do you enjoy drinking? Well, well, Gerard, I can tell you what I regret drinking from last night. Rosé. Wine that's half red and half white. I don't don't think I'll be drinking rosé again for a little while. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I am concerned. I, I, I think there are big and legitimate concerns about uh, the effect that alcohol consumption can have on developing brains. There are also big and legitimate concerns about the effect that alcohol consumption can have on grown-up brains and grown-up livers. Um, and, uh, yeah, I am not a, uh, I am not a big advocate for, uh, alcohol, which I think is a fairly dangerous drug that is treated pretty casually, um, in American culture. But, um, but I do enjoy drinking in, in, in moderation. Uh, but gosh, I do not enjoy drinking in immoderation, which is what I did last night. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I, it's, it's a, it's a tricky question because you can look at some countries where the legal drinking age is lower and say that, you know, binge drinking is less of a problem in those places. But I don't know that that would necessarily be the case immediately if we lowered the drinking age in America because, of course, then, you know, the, the culture around alcohol and its sort of, you know, its place in taboo and and teenage rebellion would not change, at least for a while. Um and then you have then you have people uh, who are really excited to buy and be able to acquire alcohol easily. Um, at the same time, uh, it doesn't seem that uh, making it illegal for young people uh, prevents them from consuming lots of it. Maybe, but I would say that it, it almost certainly decreases the number of people who consume lots of it. I don't know. I feel like maybe we aren't experts in this field, Hank. What do you enjoy drinking? That was Gerard's main question. Well, I do. I, I am an expert in the field of the, the things that I personally enjoy drinking. I don't get to drink a ton anymore because I take a medicine that uh, that is not suggested to be taken with uh, with alcohol, and I take it every day. But um, I, I enjoy um, beer. I'm a, I'm a fan of beer, of, of many different types of beer. I like, but basically at this point, having, you know, not been able to enjoy beer much, I just want any beer, any beer at all. But, uh, but I also really enjoy gin drinks. Um, anything. I, I really like gin and, uh, and I, and I like some, you know, various brown liquors such as, such as, oh, bur- no, I gotta ask you to stop. You're, uh, I, I also I, no, you have to stop. You're not, you're nauseating me. I can't, I can't go on. You uh, said brown liquors. I that was it for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but we have to move on. That's I'm physically ill. <laughs> okay, there's a question. The next one is from Sophia, who says, "Dear Hank and John, I'm Sophia. I'm I'm 12, and I'm having a midlife crisis. Who should I play off for on Mario Kart?" Oh, 
I'll tell you, Hank, as as someone who had a lot of midlife crises when he was 12, <laughs> uh, I sympathize, Sophia. Oh, it was terrible. It was so challenging uh, being 12, not just because of the Mario Kart issue. You haven't made your Mario Kart commitment, but there's so many other commitments that you haven't made in life. So many paths that you might take. Um, and in a way that's liberating, but in another way, it's so constraining because it just the choices feel infinite. And it's only once you start to narrow your choices um, in, in, in some ways, like that's sad when you narrow your choices in life, but in other ways, it's, it's so freeing because, uh, you don't have to feel this, the infinite array of possibilities that you might. Now, I assume, Sophia, that you're playing, uh, Super Mario Kart, uh, for the Super Nintendo, right? As I was <laughs> when I was 12. Um, and so your choices are, uh, Donkey Kong, uh, Princess Peach, Luigi, Mario, Toad, and Yoshi. Was, wasn't that it, Hank? Was there anything else? <laughs> that sounds about right. Uh, probably missing a couple. There was none of this, like, Wario business. Um, you know. Uh, but I think Bowser was in there. Bowser, Bowser in there? of course. But you know, you don't want to play with Bowser. Because yeah. if you're looking for top speed, then you need to look to Donkey Kong, not Bowser. And uh, if you're looking for literally anything else... Oh, and and Toad, of course. But but uh, you don't want Toad either. Toad is you said worthless. Toad. Um, Your real core choices here, Sophia, are Princess Peach, and again, I'm assuming that you're playing this game 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Your real core (laughs) choices are Princess Peach and Luigi. Uh, Mario is just a poor man's Luigi, and uh, Toad is just a poor man's Princess Peach. And you can make an argument for Donkey Kong if you're on a track that really, really uh, benefits high top speed over acceleration. But almost all of the Mario Kart tracks uh, require uh, good acceleration, at least coming out of a jump turn. So um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Luigi. I'm going to say that that on a day-to-day basis, if you need a character who's kind of going to be at the center of your Mario Kart playing life for the next, you know, 10 to 15 years, um, you're going to want Luigi. There are other people who are better in in moments, uh, but you want consistency at this point in your life, Sophia. You want someone you can count on. And that someone is Luigi. Well, as someone who is slightly younger than John Green and thus played mostly Mario Kart on the Nintendo 64, I have to say that Donkey Kong is the way to go, especially if you're, uh, like me, the kind of Mario Kart player who just isn't very good and uh, and is going to be flying all over the place and needs a, a, a guy... Who can uh, who can really stick when he when he crashes into other players and into objects on on the crash? I'm sorry. What is the possible what is the possible benefit of Donkey Kong in any version of Mario Kart? He's 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 heavy. Uh, he he's heavy, so he doesn't get pushed around so much. So when you're yeah. like me and you can't control uh, characters with your fine motor skills, which I can't, because I'm one, I don't play enough video games, and two, my hands don't work very well. Uh, you got. You, it's good to have. It's good to have a Donkey Kong so that you can uh, you can plow through any situation. You don't slow down as much when you go over the grass. Donkey Kong's got it going on. Also, he's a big, big monkey, which is great. You know, Hank, I don't. I don't dislike your argument. I think that for an entry level Mario Kart player, Donkey Kong is an excellent choice. High top speed, strength, weight, as you said, uh, doesn't get 
hurt as much going through the grass, although because the acceleration is so slow, coming out of the grass, you don't get back to top speed. It takes forever to get back to top speed. And if you're on a beach course, in my opinion, Donkey Kong is just not not the best. I, my argument for Luigi, and I, I I know that you can tell I feel strongly about this, but like my argument for Luigi, and I don't I don't want to you know be mean to you about your your point, but I, I just feel like Luigi is an everyday, every course choice for Mario Kart. And I feel like Donkey Kong, you know, is sometimes a good choice, but sometimes a disastrous one. So if we want Sophia to be finishing like solid seconds and thirds when she plays with her friends, I think Luigi's the better choice. I agree. I agree. There's also, of course, something to be said for choosing a character that uh, you feel personally connected to, uh, because really, is it all about winning? Or is it about feeling good about... No, it's about winning. Game playing. We're not talking about life. We're talking about Mario Kart, the most important thing that humans have ever done together. <laughs> well, I, uh, I I appreciate Sophia's question, and I appreciate, John, you, you uh, having a lot of, a lot of deep and, and significant thoughts about this. Okay, Hank, here's another question. This one's from Jeff. He writes, Dear John and Hank, what can an average person with few financial resources do to slow climate change? People always say that I should get an electric car or solar panels, but those types of things cost a lot of money. Correct. It's a great question, Hank, and uh, please tell tell us. Tell us what to do. Well, the thing uh, in your life that consumes the most energy is, in fact, not your car. It is your house. Uh, so the thing you can do is set your thermostat at a more reasonable place, and especially in the winter, which is when we consume most of our resources, unless you live in a very a nice a nice tropical place. Um, put on a sweater, and uh, do the Jimmy Carter, and 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 you know have your house be in the the high 60s instead of the low 70s. Stuff like that is where you save most of your of your of your energy. The uh, the heating and cooling of your of your home, though we do not ever talk about it, is the number one thing that uh, the, the number one uh, source of carbon emissions in our lives. Unless you, like I do, spend a tremendous amount of time on airplanes. I also spend a lot of time on airplanes, and I feel horribly guilty about it, and I'm trying to fly less, but instead I keep flying more. I just got my, <laughs> like, uh, diamond platinum uh, medallion from the airline that I fly regularly, Delta, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I just, it feels like failure. It feels like every time I get one of those new medallions, or it, it just it, I just feel that I've done something terribly wrong. Uh, because I know the carbon emissions are epic, and also it just means that I'm spending lots of time away from my family. But I can't stop, Hank. I can't stop getting in airplanes. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard to be John Green, and it is hard to uh, it's hard to say no when people want you to do cool things. I understand that. No, it's not hard to be me. Uh, well, it's hard to it's hard to be everyone, John. Uh, but but I am fascinated by the idea that, of course, what we think about uh, when we think about solving uh, or having a, a smaller impact on the earth is like what we can can acquire to help us do that but really of course any acquisition is uh is more resources being being spent and and like there are certainly arguments to say that solar panels or an electric car would be um a uh, you know resources spent well and possibly resources that overall will have uh you know less in, in uh, intense impact on the environment than than not purchasing those things. But really, a lot of what we can do is just to do less consumption at all. And 
that's uh that's a difficult thing because it's not exciting and nobody's gonna have a really fun marketing campaign for it and you can't uh you can't you know drive it around and look cool in it but uh that's that's really but but it is in fact something that that all people regardless of level of income can do um and that's just uh consume less and and in general consume less electricity which means uh biking places or not less electricity uh you consume less fuel uh of all kinds which means biking places and um and living in smaller homes and doing things that we don't necessarily want to do but they're free so you're saying that really there there is no acquisition that's carbon neutral well yes there would be i mean solar panels uh would absolutely be an acquisition that that would be you know, net negative on the amount of carbon released into the environment. Hmm. Okay. So I should get solar panels. Yes, if you can, if you can afford them, absolutely. Please. Uh, we need first adopters to drive down the price of solar panels at, as it continues to and, and hopefully will continue to do for a long time until it is available for everyone, uh, which will be really, really great because not only then will we have uh, less impact on the environment, but we will have a distributed power system, which is much less likely to completely and catastrophically fail in the event of a large-scale solar flare that could, in the current state of the American electricity infrastructure, create basically uh, a complete, you know, destruction of our society. Really? Yes. I'm terrified of giant solar flares. It it is a Wait, it is like the would a giant solar flare like cut the like make the electrical grid fail for like more than an hour? It would make it could potentially make it fail for more than a year. Not real. Wait, really? Yes, it's terrifying. It is a thing that we don't worry about at all. This is a terrible comedy podcast. But but it is but it is it is like the the number one thing that we should actually be worrying about in terms of natural disasters. But since it hasn't ever happened, we don't worry about it at all. But it's the kind of thing that uh, that if it did happen and and we had you know the sun sent out a solar flare that would have done this to us just a few years ago. It just happened to be pointed not at us. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it could be a bad thing. It would take a, a tremendous amount of work to get our grid back online in America. Okay, just one quick follow-up question, Hank. I'm sorry to get distracted here, but I didn't know about this solar flare uh, thing, and you know I like to have a good worry over things that could kill me and or destroy <laughs> my life, and I'm kind of astonished that there's a big one out there that I wasn't even aware of. No, I'm sorry. In, in this scenario where I have no uh, electric power for a year, by the way, I would definitely die, but um, <laughs> how, how would I charge my phone it might be a good idea to invest in a bicycle power generator john i am going to do that i am going to invest in solar panels and a bicycle power generator and i'm going to be the only guy on my block with electric power and i'll tell you what nobody's going to notice and come get you oh god now i'm truly truly terrified uh let's go ahead and just move on to another question since i've, I've been taken to an extremely dark place this question comes from Emily, and she writes, Dear John and Hank, what do you do when the person you thought was the one leaves you? How do you move past them? How do you start imagining yourself with someone else? How do you get them out of your head? Any thoughts are appreciated, including dubious advice. Good news, Emily. 
Dubious advice is all we have. The other good news is that is that John John is an expert in this, and and I will just have to step back from the microphone and have absolutely no no advice for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, Hank's never uh, been dumped, really, right? That's not true. I've been I've been dumped, but not by but not by girls who I thought were the one. Now, have you ever been? Have you ever wept from being dumped? Uh, y- y- yes. You don't remember? It was a long time ago, John. I'm old. Let me ask you this. Have you ever uh, been on your knees and raised your arms up and uh, said, Why hast thou forsaken me with tears streaming down your cheeks and snot going into your mouth from your nose as you heave sobs over having been dumped? Not over having been dumped. Well, then you haven't been dumped. (laughs) Um, Okay, so here's the thing, Emily. Uh, it hurts. Uh, I've said this a lot over the years. It's something my chaplaincy supervisor said to me when I got dumped when I was working as a hospital chaplain, but I have found it very helpful. It hurts because it mattered. It hurts because it was important. The, the grief is intense because it is real and, and because it is, uh, and because the relationship that, that you were in was an, was an important one to you. Um, and it needs to be grieved. And if you don't grieve it, then, uh, you know, you're, you're never going to, uh, get through that experience of loss. I know that it sucks. Um, and obviously if it, if it, it, you know, obviously if, if you're having, what you feel to be like mental or physical health problems that are related to your grief, or if you feel like your grief is, uh, has become complicated or unhealthy, then you should talk to someone other than your favorite podcasters about that. But, um, but there's nothing wrong with being sad. And I think the answer to how you get through it is, uh, is time. Um, I think everything gets easier with time and uh, you will eventually imagine yourself with someone else. In fact, you will be with someone else, maybe many more people. Um, and uh, and you will eventually realize, I, I, I think, um, or at least this is what I, the conclusion that I've come to, that, that there is no one as such. Um, there is no like a uh, single flickering soul out there waiting for you to like sift through all the other souls and find the one. Um, instead, uh, relationships, whether they're romantic relationships or friendships, are things that people build together uh, over time. And, uh, and, and, and that, um, you know, hopefully, like I am always in the process of becoming uh, a good spouse to my spouse and becoming a good partner and a good friend to the people I'm partners and friends with. So um, I think that uh, you have to look at it as a process, not an event. And uh, that, you know, there isn't some like needle in a haystack that you're searching for. You know, you're living your life. And right now, grief is part of that, but it, it won't always be such a big part of it. Good work, John. Did you like leave Hank and go like have a diet Dr. Pepper or something? Uh, ew, first of all. Second of all, no, I was reading about Mars. Um, if you ever, ever say anything bad about Diet Dr. Pepper ever again, (laughs) our friendship is over. Today's podcast is brought to you by Delicious Diet Dr. Pepper. Diet Dr. Pepper tastes more like regular Dr. Pepper, which tastes just like 
heaven. This podcast is brought to you by Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong, the choice of, uh, of, of, of Mario Kart drivers everywhere who actually care about being stylin' and awesome. Today's video is brought to you by Crushing Solar Flares. Solar Flares. Waking you up out of your hangover since 2015 to remind you that everything in life, including electricity itself, is precious and fleeting. This podcast is brought to you by Brown Liquors. Brown Liquors including bourbon and whiskey. Oh! <laughs> uh, uh, drinks that include ethanol, water, and things that make them the color brown, which is making my brother want to vomit in his own mouth. Oh, God, brown. I don't even mind brown liquors, except when you call them that. It's so upsetting. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week, and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Trobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to another question. Ugh. Brown liquors. This question is from Jenna. Dear Hank and John, uh, I'm a freshman in college, just joined a Nerdfighters Club, and I was wondering what a good food to snack on while you study is. Uh, what, what, what? Are, uh, that wasn't my fault. Uh, how do you stay focused while you study? Thanks. Love you guys. I used to love uh, chocolate chips. I just like, was like one chocolate chip uh, every, and I try to do it like every minute or so. So just like spread them out real thin, but it's sort of enough to keep keep me going and give me something to look forward to. Is that weird? It's incredibly weird. I also think that uh, there is no nutritional science to back up the idea that that's a good study food. Um, but I don't know, maybe it like keeps you working while you try to understand organic chemistry. Like every time you understand a new kind of bonding or whatever, you get a chocolate chip. Was that the idea? Uh, no, that would be very few chocolate chips per hour. Um, it was just sort of like... Uh, you know, like have this thing in my mouth. You know, chocolate like like dark chocolate chips. They have they keep you awake. They got the they got the the old bromide in them, and they're also sort of a little bit bitter. So they're like like a sharp taste to like make your brain mm-hmm. brain continue braining. Uh, you got that going on. I don't know. It's what I used to do. I'd buy like a big bag of semi sweet chocolate chips, um, and they're cheap. 
All I can think about is get it in your mouth as soon as possible. <laughs> but never, like the trick was to only eat them one at a time when they're really small. And so if you put like five in your mouth or like a, like a handful, then you're just like, then you're eating. You're not studying. And so just like one little chocolate chip at a time. One little chocolate chip. It's, it's very slow. I'm sure that works. I used to eat a lot of cinnamon toast crunch as a snack food, but looking back, here's what I wish I had done. <laughs> I wish uh, that I had gone to the cafeteria and taken some nice fresh fruit and put it in my little mini fridge, uh, and then I and then cut up little bowls of fresh fruit to study with because I think that's the right. Uh, you know, you get you get a little bit of sugar. Um, and you get a little bit of a, of a kick from it, but, um, but you get it in a fairly healthy, uh, whole food kind of way. And so that would be my recommendation. But I will say as a side note that Cinnamon Toast Crunch is delicious. But John, John, what about, what about Hot Pockets though? Oh my God, I did enjoy a Hot Pocket or two during college. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's a wonder that I, I had so many uh, digestive problems when I was a college student, Hank. Um, what with my diet of cinnamon <laughs> toast crunch two meals a day and hot pockets two meals a day because I believed at the time in the formula day plan. Um, <laughs> I would go at times weeks uh, without consuming any food uh, that was not either one kind of hot pocket or another or uh, cinnamon toast crunch. So I don't think that I'm the right person to answer this question. Uh uh, okay. I, uh, yes. I also would suggest um, um, ramen noodles and Pop-Tarts, because let's be honest, it's college. All right, Hank, uh, we've got a question here from Elliot, who writes, Dear John and Hank, uh, my question is aimed at John. Those are my favorite kind of questions, Elliot. As an AFC Wimbledon supporter, I was thrilled when I found out that you're a fan of the club. You've probably been asked this before, but how did you discover the club and why did you decide to become a supporter? Best wishes, Elliot. Um, well, I mean, the story of AFC Wimbledon is amazing because, uh, they were originally this club, Wimbledon FC, and then, uh, owners basically stole the club away, uh, and moved it to Milton Keynes, where there is now, uh, a club, um, called MK Dons that plays, uh, many miles away from Wimbledon in, in Milton Keynes. And so the, the people of, uh, Wimbledon started their own football club, uh, way down in the amateur ranks and then worked their way up through the English, uh, league system, uh, and became a full-time league club again. And, and today, you know, sell out their stadium every weekend. Um, I first became aware of that story, uh, when I think, uh, right before, Wimbledon uh, got back into the football league in like 2009 and 2010 when they were just one promotion away from being a full-time professional club again. And uh, I sort of followed them um, in, in that league. And then when they, uh, when they won this amazing game on penalties uh, with, with Seb Brown, their, their 19-year-old goalkeeper, saving uh, two penalties in the shootout, uh, that's when I really became addicted to AFC Wimbledon. And I just feel really lucky because um, they're such a great club. They reflect the values that I, I like in soccer. Like I, you know, one of the only things that I think is of real value in soccer is the community building aspect of it. And AFC Wimbledon is owned equally by every one of its fans. You know, my uh, five-year-old son owns just as much of AFC Wimbledon as I do and just as much uh, of AFC Wimbledon as the chairman of the club does. And I think it's pretty magical that, uh, you know, these thousands of people uh, working together and collaborating have been able to rebuild something um, that was special to them and turn it into something that in a lot of ways is even cooler than it, than it used to. 
to be. So um, AFC Wimbledon is pretty great. Nothing against Mars because Mars is also nice. Hank, by the way, I read The Martian. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How did you, th- you like it? It was great. Holy snood. It's a good book. It's intense. intense. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of life or death math, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was really exciting, and I, I felt like I, I learned a lot about Mars along the way. I don't know how, how good the science is, but it was convincing to me. Yeah, it's pretty good science. Uh, speaking of which, Hank, I suppose that we should maybe perhaps move on to the uh, news from Mars, if there is any. Uh, well, uh, in, in this week's news from Mars, I want to play you a clip, John. I'd like to play you a clip. That is from uh, from this guy uh, whose name is John Green, and this is from a video he made in 2009. Uh, are, are you ready for the clip? Yeah. Share a freaking planet. I like the planet. In terms of places I might live, this planet is like my second favorite after Mars, and I would totally go live on Mars and stop worrying about America and Iran, but unfortunately I'm no good at terraforming. Did you hear that, John? Did you hear about what your what your first favorite planet is? I mean, the first my first response is that do you remember in 2009, Hank, when we made videos and this was our delivery? I mean, I like the planet Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's just scream at the camera. I mean, did I like did I like my viewers or was I trying to attack them with my voice? Um. Well, I mean, I don't know what to say. I Apparently, have to give credit where credit uh, is due. This is this this was sent to me by by Michael Benzer, who uh, who was going through old Vlogbrothers videos and found this and sent it to me for for play on the podcast. Thank thank you very much, Michael. Well, it's a difficult day for me because I have to acknowledge that in 2009, apparently for a white hot moment, I briefly, in a joke, said that Mars was my favorite planet. In fact, Mars is tied for second. Uh, among my favorite planets, but it's tied with literally all the planets that aren't Earth. (laughs) So it's tied for second. It's also tied for eighth. Um, Hank, uh, the news from AFC Wimbledon, it's good and bad. Just like the news, uh, it really is is for any, at at any time in human history. You know, you can always find the good and you can always find the bad. Uh, AFC Wimbledon's uh, senior men's team uh, drew this week against Mansfield. They tied. Uh, a tie is not a bad result, um, you know, but it's I, I think that, you know, obviously we, we, we wish that we were on top of the League Two table right now. And, and instead of being uh, on top, we're 13th, which is just under the halfway point. But, you know, whatever. Uh, top 13, I'll take it. But in incredibly exciting news, the AFC Wimbledon ladies won a recent uh, game of, in the Women's FA Cup. Nine to nothing. Nine. They scored nine goals. They won nine to nothing. And I, I have to uh, I have to give a lot of credit to um, AFC Wimbledon's uh, women's football program. Uh, they're really good. Um, and there are lots of uh, professional teams, including like uh, huge teams like Manchester United that field no uh, women's team at all. Um, and that don't support women's football at all. And uh, AFC Wimbledon is is tremendously supportive of uh, their their women's football team and also um, their youth their their youth girls teams um, as well as the youth boys teams. And I think it's uh, one of one of you know many many super cool things about the club. So congratulations to the uh, AFC Wimbledon ladies on their nine nil first round FA Cup victory. That is uh, pretty impressive. I have not scored nine goals in my entire football career. 
how many goals have you scored in your football career, John? Well, I scored one goal uh, in middle school. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, so- I scored a few goals in, in club soccer in uh, elementary school and middle school. But for my middle school, uh, you know, like school team, I-, I just I only scored one goal. It was in a uh, in a six nil victory, as I recall, and it was the sixth goal. Uh, it was the it was the the nail, the nail in the coffin, the final nail in the coffin. And uh, I scored it from about eight inches out uh, from the goal. <laughs> More than scoring a goal, uh, this there was one guy from England on our on our middle school soccer team who was really good. His name was James, and he could kick the ball so hard. He could just kick the ball so much harder than any of the rest of us. And my recollection is that we had a corner kick, and James kicked the ball so incredibly hard, and it just sort of hit my knee and dribbled into the goal. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. I'm I'm proud of you. I appreciate it. I believe I scored one one goal in my soccer career as well. Didn't you mostly play goalie? I did mostly play goalie. Yes, but I I did occasionally not play goalie and I believe I scored one goal during the times when I wasn't playing as goalie. I did not score a goalie goal as awesome awesome as that would have been. Oh, those are the best. Um, so I did get an assist or two as a goalie. Yeah. Yeah. Um that that's a thing. I kind of feel like as a goalie you can't not really shouldn't really be counted as an assist, but you know, whatever. Uh, in in this week's Mars news, uh, you may have heard that there is uh, some. Whoa, 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 what, whoa! What? I thought we just had the news from Mars. Wait, what was that? That you that you <laughs> that you liked Mars once in two thousand nine? Yeah, I mean that's breaking news. Like I am a longtime <laughs> opponent of Mars, and you've just dredged up a clip via a listener that proves that uh, I'm a flip flopper. That's news. <laughs> There's more news from Mars? There's, a, there's always news from Mars, John. There's, there's always too much news. I can never, never quite, uh, quite give you all the news from Mars because there's just so much because it's a whole planet. Um, but, uh, but this week's news from Mars, uh, you may have heard that Apple just had a bunch of, uh, of new, slightly different uh, versions of its own uh, previous products last week. That they're very excited about and they would like us to, to acquire. Uh, but if you like better, newer, cooler versions of existing content, then boy, are you going to love the Mars 2020 rover planned for launch in 2020, which is a lot like Curiosity, but is different and has a bunch of new, exciting, proposed scientific instruments, including the Mars Helicopter Scout, which is a solar-powered helicopter drone that could pinpoint interesting targets for study uh, and uh, plan the best driving route for the drone, like go ahead and like take pictures so that we would know where, where, the, uh, where the, the rover would go. So that's cool. It would fly. Uh, it would fly out, and then it would fly back and charge. So it would be like sort of a like a just sort of extend the range of the rover's visual sensors, which is just I love that idea. It's so cool. That's all. Um, how big is this uh, Martian helicopter that we're building? Uh, it'll weigh about a kilogram, John. Let me ask a follow-up question. How how much work do we need to do uh, on Mars in the next say? six to nine months to ensure that it is fully habitable in the event that a solar flare makes it impossible for me to charge my iPhone. Uh, you might want to buy some solar panels, John. Oh, I'm buying solar panels. That's that's And a bicycle <laughs> ch- generator, by all means. 
Um, I'm also going to hire someone to pedal that bicycle. <laughs> Just you. Ha- what are you talking about? You have a child. Just make your child do it. I've made a bunch of capital outlays just in the last 15 minutes, Hank, to, to deal with this new crisis that I didn't know about. Uh, that's what children are for, John, to pedal your bicycle-powered generator. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, truly spoken like someone who doesn't have children. I can't even get them to, like, uh, eat dinner, let alone power my generator. <laughs> oh, God. All right, Hank, what did we learn today? We learned, of course, that a, uh, a solar flare is going to destroy um, all life on Earth and that uh, I'm going to, to die. Uh, and not only am I going to die, I'm not even going to be able to take a selfie of myself dying because my phone won't charge. <laughs> we learned that John has a lot of experience with heartbreak and having his snot run into his mouth while saying, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, for reasons of being dumped, whereas the why the reasons why I have said why hast thou forsaken me with snot dripping into my mouth uh, has less to do with being dumped. But uh, thanks to everybody uh, for for listening to today's show, even to um, our cruel and unusual listeners who uh, dug up uh, evidence that I I once briefly expressed. Um, uh, 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 an affinity toward Mars. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening uh, and, and for your responses on, on Twitter, on SoundCloud, uh, and in the iTunes uh, comments. It's, uh, it's so awesome uh, to read them. We really appreciate it. Uh, if you have questions for us that you would like to hear our answers to or get some dubious advice, you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. The uh, podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. The theme music that you're hearing right now is from Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.